You are now listening to the number one podcast. You have been digital. Interrupted. I am digital. Okay, what's up? What's up? What's up, guys? So we are here for my first, I my first interview video-wise. Um you know, you, you guys know, Digitally Interrupted, I usually try to bring you guys just straight audio. I figured, hey, everybody wants to see the face behind the brand. So, hi, Mr. I Am Digital. So, I am here today. We have a special guest because this episode is actually special because I feel like this is going to touch a lot of hearts. It's going to tell a lot of stories that we don't normally hear every day. And... You guys know me. Around November, December, I just like to give things away, whatever I can. If I have it, I'm throwing it and I'm giving it away to somebody. So today we have a young lady here by the name of Amanda. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Now, I didn't want to be the one to introduce you too much. So I kind of want you to introduce yourself and let people know who you are and what are we going to be talking about today? Okay, my name is Amanda Ferrero. I have had seven brain surgeries for a cyst on my cerebellum. And then in 2017, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. I did induction chemo and four consolidation therapies. Uh, and then I was told I was in remission. So I was happy. Life went back to normal. And then six months after being told I was in remission, I relapsed. So I had to have another induction chemo. Um, but because the chemo, the cancer was so aggressive, I was told the only chance of me living was to have a stem cell transplant. So that's what I did. I had a stem cell transplant. And November 28th of this year, well, I will be two years old, which is pretty cool. And well, I don't know who my donor is at all whatsoever. He's oh, wow. some man in Italy. So hopefully wow. one day we'll be able to talk. Wow. Nice. Wow. So everything that you said, I kind of want to break it down for those who are not too familiar you know, with okay. what you're talking about, you know, and, you know, as you guys let them know the name of your brand, actually, because then I think we can actually start it from there. OK, so I started Cancer is an Asshole. Um, that's what it was for me. I mean, an asshole, somebody you don't want to deal with. You don't really want to be around. Right. Like when you don't like something, you're like, eh, it's an asshole. And right. that's what cancer was for me. So I started a blog and it's cancerisanasshole.com. And that's how I started really getting information out into the world. All right. Well, see, as we all know, you know, cancer is a very is I think I feel like it's something that, you know, we all know about, but a lot of us don't want to discuss it, if that makes sense. Yes. It's like one of those topics that come up and everybody immediately just goes quiet. Because, you know, for one, we've all lost somebody. I've lost somebody to cancer, you know. So personally, the story speaks to me in its own. And then also being a part of a minor minority community, it's normal for us, you know. And that's something that a lot of us don't, like I said, once again, we like to talk about it behind closed doors, but in public, we just don't talk about it. So, you know, if you can start from the beginning of your journey, you know, like tell us like, you know, what was life before cancer? Like what was life like before it? Well, um, I was 
a full-time mom. I had my son in 2013. Um, my boyfriend was working. He was a studio engineer. Um, and he was working, you know, 70 plus hours a week. And I was home. I was a mom. I was doing things with my kid. It was like life is normal. And one day I didn't feel good. I went to the hospital. My life changed. And what what was like, what was that? What led up to that? Like, what was the series of things that were happening that made you be like, or did it was it something that you just found out in a routine checkup? Well, I, I went to the hospital in March and I, I wasn't feeling good. I was really like lethargic. I was very pale. I it was like hard for me to breathe. Things like when you have the flu, I guess, kind of symptoms. And I was like bruising really easily. And they told me I had mono and to, you know, relax and it'll pass in a few weeks and you'll be fine. But I felt like I was just getting worse and worse and worse. And then finally, one day I said, I cannot live like this anymore. And I went back to the hospital and through the blood work, they saw that I had cancer. Hmm. That's that's deep because, you know, a lot of people it takes a lot of people too long, I would say, or they catch it too late when when it came about. Was it at an early stage? Well, obviously, we know it was obviously at a stage where it was treatable. If right. you know what we say now, um, what was that conversation like with the doctor? Though? Like, what was that like? What was the, what was if you remember, what was his words when he came to you to tell you? Um, well, I went in and, you know, I'm a heavier girl. And, and I said, the doctor last time told me like the breathing was because I, you know, need to lose a little bit of weight. And I said, look, it's not my weight. It's not like I know my body, something's wrong and I need you to do tests. And that's what he did. He listened to me and he did the testing and I was an advocate for myself. I made sure I put my foot down because I knew something was wrong. And thank God I did because he ran tests and he pulled, as soon as he pulled up a chair and grabbed my hand, I knew something was wrong. And he was like, you're right. Something is wrong. You need blood because you're like, you're normal blood red blood cell count should be between like an 11 and 13 and mine was a 5.2 like i literally could have died in my sleep that night so he was like it's a good thing you came in but you need to have a consultation with an oncologist tomorrow morning and i knew from that point that it was cancer so the process how did you process these thoughts at that moment? Like, what was that process? Like, did you process it at all? Or did it take, how long did it take if you would say? So as soon as they told me and they started the blood, I was in the hospital. So I had like no cell service. Okay. I had Wi-Fi, and then I messaged my sister through Facebook and I said, call mom, go to her house and wake her up. I need her now. It's an emergency. Right. And as soon as I said that, my sister was banging on my mom's door, waking them up at two o'clock in the morning, saying like I was in the hospital, like contact me. Right. So I actually had the doctor call my mom and leave a message and say that I'm in the hospital. Um, 
that they needed to get in touch with me. So they brought me up to the floor, one of the floors, I guess the cancer floor, um, and I waited. I didn't sign any papers. I didn't let them start anything. I wanted to talk to my mom. And I also wanted a second opinion because, I mean, why didn't they catch this a few months ago when I was at the hospital? How come I had to wait for this? Like, I wanted to make sure I was putting my life in the right hands. Right, exactly. Because this was life or death. Exactly. So, you know, we, we always hear stories like this. You know, and sometimes, like we said, it happens too late where people kind of they just find out too late because for one, maybe one, you know, I think that another big thing is health insurance. When people don't have the insurance, it makes them tend to not want to go in a lot more because they just don't feel like they can afford it. Just before we jump back into that story, is there anything that you can touch on as far as like insurance for people who may be afraid at this point? That might be watching this and be like, you know what? I've been feeling sick, but I don't have the health insurance. Is there anything that you can tell them that they might need, that they might want to know at this point? So you literally can go to any hospital if you don't have insurance. There's something called charity care that the insurance will help you pay off the bills. And there are also thousands of charities that help people pay off their medical bills. So if you don't have insurance and you're worried about the medical billing or you just don't have the money, I wouldn't hesitate. I um, always worry about yourself. The bills come later and you can figure that out, but you're not what are you going to do if you die from not going to the hospital? You know, if you feel like it's super important and you need to get checked out, go get checked out. And that's what I do on my website. I have resources for people that don't have disability or that don't have Medicaid or Medicare or private insurance. They're, the hospital has charity care. You, you know, if it is serious, you can always get disability from the state, whichever state you are in. So there are ways to go around it. But if you're feeling like something is wrong, go to the hospital because you know your body. All right. All right. Well, there you go. For anybody that's listening to this, you know, there's nothing that's stopping you from learning about your health. So getting back to now, you know, what's that process like now that everybody knows what's going on? You know, what appointments at this point are you making? Like what, what are the like changes that you might have to make into in your lifestyle you know, what, like, what's that process now on to the next step on trying to heal? So, oh man. So do you, do you want me to go from like me telling my family or do you want to start from me being in remission? No, I want you to start from where you had to, t- like, okay. I want, I want people to know, you know, because like I said, we don't hear stories about this all the time. So we don't, we, we always hear you found out. Okay. So, so yeah, touch on that. Then, so I went up to the floor that they put me in and I waited for my mom and she came at, I believe it was like eight o'clock in the morning and we talked and we called around and I said, uh, uh, 
the oncologist literally came into my room in the morning, like 6 a.m. And he was like, you have leukemia. We don't know how bad it is, but we're going to start chemo. No bedside manner. I was in the room with someone else. Um, and I was hysterical to the point where the other person's mom came to me and was like, do, do you want a hug? I was hysterical. I feel like if you're going to tell someone they have a life-threatening disease, tell them privately and maybe have some compassion behind it. That's crazy to tell someone, like, you have cancer and just walk out of the room. Right. So, so that already turned me off. I, I was crazy with that. And then just having my mom there and deciding like what I want to do, like, is this for, like, I feel like I, I didn't have time. I was in the hospital and they wanted me to start ASAP. So for me, it was like calling around. What do I do? Luckily, we know other oncologists who are like, no, you need to go to a special, like a leukemia doctor, not just a doctor who doesn't like, who is, does with all cancers. You need right. a special doctor. So that's what I did. I, I left. I was brought in by ambulance to another hospital and I got a second opinion because I wanted to make sure I was going to live and it's my right. life. And I felt like I needed that. The hardest part was telling my boyfriend right? because he went from having a career and working full time right. to having his girlfriend be diagnosed with cancer and being a full time parent to a three year old and not knowing what was going to happen with the rest of his life. Right. And we had no idea. Let's. Let's ask, let's ask the tough question. When you were told that, did you think that, did you think you were going to die at that moment? Like not moment, but like, did you, did you think you weren't going to live as long as you live now? No, not in that moment. I think it was my fight or flight switched in my brain. Okay. And I just wanted, I just wanted to know what I had to do. Right. At that moment, I was, I wanted my son and I, I couldn't be with him. Right. I was scared that I wouldn't be around him, but I just wanted to get it over and done with that. I was like, what do I have to do so I can go home? Right. Okay. And did now did we know, obviously your son was too young at that moment. Did you have a, like, did you have a talk with him? Did you tell him like, Hey, you know, mommy's sick. Like, did you say anything to him at that time? Um, Honestly, I didn't even tell my boyfriend. I called his mom. Okay. And, you know, she's always been like a guiding light in my life. Just anything. And she's like, she's the mom, you know? Right, she, right. You know, like my mom is my mom, but how do I tell my boyfriend that I have a life-threatening disease? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I, like... And I was just looking for that guidance of like, what do I say? Right. How do I tell him our whole entire life just did a 180 and like our future is unknown at this point. Right. So he, she told him they actually came up to the hospital where I was. Um, and I just 
we told Isaac that I, mommy was sick and I had to go, that I had to stay at the doctor's um, and daddy would be home with him and he could call me anytime, but mommy had to be away for a little while because I was sick. Right. And that's all I told him in the beginning. Okay. And then how long were you actually at the hospital at this point? So I went from one hospital to another so that my mom's doctors could do their testing. And then I went from that hospital to Robert Wood Johnson, where I was treated Okay. Uh, 33 days. Wow. That's a long time to be away from your normal yeah. life. I'm not even going to say from home, just the normal uh, life that you were yeah. used to at that moment. So yeah. what, what was that? What was that feeling like, you know, beyond just being sick, knowing you got to be home, be away from home. Cause you're sick. You went from this normal life where you're constantly around certain people every day, you know, did anything change at that moment? Um, when you were sick, like I know sometimes, uh, people can't be around certain people when they're sick, you know, did you have to stay away from certain people or even your own family members? Yeah. Well, my son was not allowed about the hospital. They don't usually allow people that are 15 or younger to come up to visit. Um, however, I told them I wouldn't even go to the hospital if I couldn't see my son. So they did make an exception for me. They put my room right by the elevator. So when he came up, he went right. I only got to see him once a week. So I saw him four times during the whole hospital stay. Um, But yeah, I mean, everything completely changed. And all cancers are different. So, you you know, sometimes you have surgery and then you get to go home. Sometimes you have to go in to have your chemo, but then you get to go home. Mm -hmm. But when you have leukemia or a blood cancer, your literally whole body has cancer. And, and well, where I went, they like to keep you there just to monitor you because literally anything could happen. That's crazy. That's even, that's the crazier part, you know, that, you know, because, you know, I know we see things on TV or we see different people, you know, they say they have cancer, but they're home, you know, we always wonder like, well, why did they have to stay in the hospital? I'm, I'm, I actually appreciate you because I'm probably one of those guys where I didn't know that, you know, certain cancers will require you to stay in the hospital. I just thought everybody did chemo, go home, right. you know, and right. stuff like that. So that's, that's even, that's even crazier. Um, you know, that these 33s are up, 33 days are up. What has happened in these 33 days? Like, you know, describe like, you know, what's it, what's it, what's a daily routine and you know while you're at the hospital for 33 days like what's a daily thing so I started chemo the second day like I went there I met my doctor I met the nurses and then the next day I started uh on chemo so I I think it was like seven days full I was getting the chemo and then it was just pretty much like eating breakfast. It's like a normal day, but like I was in a hospital bed. Okay. So I watched my Ellen. I ate food. Uh, my mom came up. I didn't really, the first couple of days I, I felt fine, but right. my body was getting used to the chemotherapy. Right. Okay. Um, about a week into my chemo, my gallbladder uh, was about to explode. 
and I had to have an emergency appendectomy. Oh my, and that was my gallbladder, my appendix. Gotcha. Um, so I was on chemo, mm -hmm. receiving platelets. Right. And I had to have an emergency surgery, but they said, I don't know if we're going to live because we've never operated on someone that's in the middle of chemo. So you literally could lose blood and die from bleeding out. Wow. It might go fine. Right. But if we don't do the surgery, you could die if your appendix ruptured uh, exactly. and... So I didn't really have a choice. So right. I think that was scariest for me. And when I even think back, that was probably the scariest thing because I was in fight mode. I was ready to right. fight, ready to do what I had to do yep. just to get home to my son. Right. But when I needed that surgery, that was scary because the surgeons are like, we don't want to do this, but we have to, or you're going to die. Yeah. But you could die anyway. And I had to right. sign that piece of paper saying like I knew what was happening, but yeah. I didn't want to do it. Right. So I called my son before I called Jesse before we FaceTimed and mommy has to have surgery and I love you. And mm. like, I'm proud of you and I'll always be there. But that was scary. Right, right, right. Exactly. You know? But I made it. Right, exactly. You did exactly. That's that, that's crazy. That's like that's so crazy to think about, and I don't think that a lot of us who've never been through that we don't understand that. Yeah, you know, and that's so and that's deep. That you know, it's a it's a win lose, a win win, or it can be lose lose. Like it's so many, but it's more the losing side that you have that like fifteen percent chance of winning. You know, yeah. and the fact that you do win it's even more of a blessing. You know what I mean? And it just gives you more of an eye opener. It makes you appreciate life a lot differently. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, you know, I, I know that a lot of people go through changes physically, you know, when you're on chemo and obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm nosy, you know, so I was digging. I, I had to see, you know, I have what, everything. I yeah, have exactly. everything up there. Open book, I, you know, so. I shared everything. Talk about that you know, as a woman, right. you know, men are a little different because, you know, we normally don't kind of have hair, you know, so, it's right. kinda, you know, so women though, I know it's kind of like a, is it like an ego killer? Is it a confidence killer when you guys have to go through that process of like knowing that you're losing your hair? I mean, for me, it wasn't, I found strength in that. Okay. Okay. Um, but a lot of times, like, yeah, like I even this morning, I was like, oh, I want to straighten my hair. It's like it's like an accessory to a lot right, of people. Right, right. And I I went on Facebook and I started a page mm -hmm. the day I found out I, I was diagnosed with cancer. Got you. OK. And right. it was more for family to keep in touch. I didn't want to have thousands of phone calls a day or text messages and explain to people the same story. Right. So right. it was more of, I'm going to post this on this page. I invited my family and I said, I will share my journey here so you can keep in touch with me. You can see what's going on. And I also, I also wanted to share it because my sister had brain cancer when she was six. My aunt had Ewing sarcoma. My grandfather died of lung cancer. 
And a lot of times people don't really understand what people go through. They don't see the whole process. Right. They just say, oh, you have cancer. Oh, I feel sorry. You have to do chemo. And then when you're done, it's like, okay, you're done. But I know from experience, it's not like that. So I was like, I'm going to own it. I am taking full force. I am taking my life over and I'm sharing this. Nice. Okay. So when the time came where my hair was falling out, I mean, I took pictures of it and I shared it. And then when it was time to shave my head, I have pictures of video. I went live mm-hmm. and I showed everybody my mom shaving my head. And a lot of the time that's the hardest for so many people because when your head when you're bald, you feel like a cancer patient. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. because then people see you as, oh, she's bald. She must have cancer. Mm -hmm. So I owned, I owned it. Yep. I have cancer, but guess what? I'm shaving my head before it can take it away from me. I'm doing it. I'm doing it first. I owned, I owned it. It, for me, it was like, F you cancer. I'm taking my hair off. You don't get that. Right. Okay. To me, it was a strength thing. And I'm, I'm actually, you know what? And I'm going to say, you know, we're going to give you a round of applause for that because, <laughs> you know, a lot, I've seen a lot of people, you know, I've seen stories just like you have opened up your story on social media. I've seen a lot of stories on social media as well. And I've seen times where people have given up, you know, and they let it take over their, not even over their body, but just over their life in general. You know, where they just don't have that fight in them no more. You know, you know, a lot of people can't say, oh, you know, I've been in remission, gotten it back and fought it again and beat it again. You know, a lot of people don't have that multiple times they've beat cancer, you know. So um, after these 33 days are up, you know, what now? Like, what are we doing now? 33 is over. 33 days is over. What, what's what's right. the uh, what's the prognosis? Like, what's going on? So I, after the 21 day mark, I had a bone marrow biopsy and it showed no cancer. Okay. Which is good. We were happy. So technically it was like a, a early remission, but it was cancer free. So I went right. home. When I was able to go home every other day, I was going to the hospital. Right. So Monday I would go, Tuesday I was home, Wednesday I would go. I would have blood work done. And then if I needed a blood transfusion or platelets, I would have that. So sometimes my hospital visits would be eight hours long because I would go in not knowing I needed blood and then they would have to call the blood bank, get me blood. And then I would have to sit there and get the blood. And it was depending on who took me. My dad took me, my mom's friend, Jessica, her best friend took me sometimes. My mom took me, my aunt took me, Jesse took me sometimes because I couldn't drive myself. Yeah, exactly. So it it was very, I mean, then you think about the gas, the tolls, the needing food when you're up there, um, you know, not feeling well or wanting to have a slice of pizza, but then being sick from the taste of the pizza. And right. you, like, it's just everything you don't think about doing. I mean, all that stuff adds up. Parking, it's $6 a day to park. I mean, everything. Right. And, and, and I wanted everybody to understand what that was like. So I shared all of it. And 
you know, like like you said, it's just the little things that we don't realize that add up. You know, what just what is like what is that, you know, the eight hours? Like, how are you feeling? Like, what is your body feeling like as you're coming out of, you know, as you're done with this process and these procedures? What is the body, the body itself, not your mind, because we know mentally you're just you're gone already. <laughs> What's your body physically feeling like at that point? Well, a lot of the times you you lose weight. I lost, I think, like 40 pounds just in that month, just because you're sick. Right. And you're throwing up and you right. can't eat and you have diarrhea and you're putting right. poison into your body. Right. And you're drained. You're like, you just, moving your hands hurt like it hurts. Right. It's physically painful. Okay. You know, so you're you're mentally drained. Right. You're in a place of like, how am I going to afford this? Right. You're on all this medication to save your life. But your body is so worn down that it's, it's like, it takes all of your energy just to walk to the bathroom. Right. And what now, if I'm not mistaken, I know I've read up on chemo. What is, for people that never, you know, who who don't know medically, because I'm pretty sure, you know, with having, you know, this happens to you, you've done all your research, you know, you've done a lot of research. What yes. What is physically going on with this chemotherapy? Like what is, what is going on in your body? Like what's happening to it? Okay. So first off, there is not just one type of chemo. There are thousands of different types and combinations. Of I was going to say combinations of medication. All right. I know about that. Right. So not everyone is the same, okay. but the same chemo is a poison. So that's basically, you know, everybody gets, who gets chemo? It's a poison to kill the bad cells, but right. in killing the bad cells, you do kill some of the good cells. Is that like, re, is that what we call like resetting your immune system? Yes. Okay. All right. So I know, all right, at least hey, I'm not a doctor. I'm like, at least I know I'm not going crazy. So, yeah. Um, you know, and you know, like you said, with losing weight, you know, you're vomiting and everything like that. I The thing is, I, I only reason I ask these questions is because people that haven't heard your story personally, or never even seen a story of a cancer patient, you know, they don't get these, they don't get these like raw emotions or they don't get these raw stories about what goes on. They, like I said, it's just the beginning and the end. They don't get the middle. They don't, you know, and I haven't had that experience. Now I've had a stomach virus before, you know, what, what is that feeling when you're getting this chemo, but you want to vomit? Like, why do you like, why do you want to vomit? Like, what do you feel like before you want to vomit? Like, what is, I want you to tell people. So how I explained it was, you know, have you ever had the flu before? Yes. Point is Where on. you're in bed and your body hurts and right. you don't want to get up. Right. And even getting up to go to the bathroom, you're like, and your body hurts really bad. Right. And every time you eat, you just feel sick to your stomach. Right. It's like that times 10. Gotcha. Okay. So it's just, it's draining. That's is the, that I every mean, day though? Is that like yeah. an everyday feeling? Okay. Yes. Okay. So it is, so like the first few days, 
I would say the first three days I, w- I was fun. I was like, oh, I could do this. Right. You didn't see it coming. And then your hair, like, usually they say about a week or two is when you really start feeling the effects right. gotcha. of chemo. So, like, even if you take Tylenol, it takes 45 minutes for you to feel it. Gotcha. So when you get chemo into your body, your body fights it at first. So your immune system goes into overdrive and the good cells are fighting it because it's like, it's more bad. Right, right, right. So it takes a while for all those bad cells to then die off. Mm -hmm. And then that's why they say people with, you know, getting, going through treatment have like no immune system because it kills everything. Right. So, I mean, you're just, you're tired. I mean, putting clothes on, taking a shower, I mean, anything you you could blinking your eyes hurt. Everything hurts. Were you? Was you like? Did you find yourself just kind of like laid up a lot more than? Oh, usual? totally. Okay. Yeah, I could barely move. I, I mean, I would try and like put a smile on my face, and and you know, my son, we would play games in the bed so that I could right, lay right. down. Exactly. Um, but I mean, it was so hard, and then having to get up to go back to the hospital, you know, and I, I needed help get, I have, I have three stairs. So I have to walk up mm. three stairs and then go outside and just to get in the car. I mean, it probably, you know, normally it would take me like three minutes to get up, go and get into the car. Right. It was like half an hour because one step, stop, breathe, you know, one step, stop, Oh, so this is like your whole system. This is not just aches and everything else. Like you have time, you have a hard time breathing. You just have a hard time doing anything with your body. It's just yeah. It felt like I was running a mile every time I took a step because you're just so you just feel like there's pressure on your body, but you're just so beaten down and you're 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 through so much. Gotcha. You know, like if you got hit by a car, you wouldn't. You know, it would take a process to recover from that. Your body would hurt every step you would take. That's what it feels like, but it's like inside. Gotcha. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's horrible. And then so, every every day going back and then repeating that or take right. needing your medication. Like it was just, it's draining on the everyday person. It's crazy. Like now I'm going to probably jump into the next question that a lot of people don't normally ask. But like I said, I like to ask the toughest questions ever. Just because I need the toughest answers ever. Because I just, I have to hear it. Okay. Medications, medications. Just talk about the meds. First off, are you still taking meds? Yeah, I'm, I'm still on medication. Now, when this first started, about how many medications were you taking on top of getting chemo already? Not supplements or vitamins, medications. Um... I was on about four medications and then like two pain medications. So I was taking about six. Okay. And so each six. month it was about $250 for medication with my insurance. Gotcha. And how many pills are you taking per day? You should, you could say. Um, I, well, after chemo, I think it was... 
It was about like 12. A day. I, was say, I, I know you take, but sometimes you take multiple like a day, like you have to take multiple. Yeah, like the, yeah. So okay. I believe it was about 12 a day. So you already have a hard time moving. You have a hard time breathing. You have a hard time doing anything. Now you have to multiply take pills in a day. So now you have to constantly keep picking up stuff to put it in your mouth. You have to swallow stuff, you know, and I'm pretty sure, like you said, you're already 60 years stomach. You don't want to swallow nothing like you. Right. So um, was water your best friend or was it was it your best enemy? Gatorade, blue Gatorade. Gatorade. Okay, that was. Your, I, was that your new? That, that's your favorite flavor. It was just the taste that okay. I could stand. Gotcha. Uh, now after transplant, I drink water. Water is my best friend. Right. Exactly. Um, but I didn't like the taste of Gatorade. Could not drink milk. I mean, I mean, no water. The right. only Gatorade I liked was the blue flavor. Okay. That's the only thing I could keep down. Right. I didn't like ginger ale. I didn't like iced tea. Right. I didn't like anything except for blue Gatorade. That's all I drank. Now, was anything with carbonation hard to drink? Because I know you said you didn't like ginger ale. So, like, yeah, no, no carbonation I, drinks or nothing? No. Okay. Nothing. I couldn't keep anything down. Now, I know a lot of people have, like, their if and, like, they're, like, uh, like, they're back and forth about Gatorade because they say the sodium level is high. So, you know, a lot of people are going to ask, yeah. Well, how did you survive off of Gatorade? It's so high in sodium. It's like explain what it made you feel like because some some people just think of right. what they read on bottles. So, my oncologist explained it to me like this: when you're craving something, even mm-hmm. pregnant women, when you crave something, that's what your body needs. So okay. sometimes I would crave randomly crave avocados. And then in my blood work, it would show that I needed magnesium. So I was craving that for a reason. So my sodium actually was super low after chemo. So that's why the Gatorade was, it's what my body needed. Okay. See, and and there you go for the folks that are sitting there wondering like, you can't survive off of Gatorade. Right. But But my body needed it. Right. So that's, that's what it called for. And yeah. that's what you gave it. All right. See, there we, I just, I'll, I have to break that, that lining right there. Cause people always have an opinion about this gate. I don't know. It's like, maybe I'll do a podcast on like the, the, the pros and cons of Gatorade. No, because- I, I, I understand it a lot. You know, it, sometimes it's high in sodium and it's not the best thing for you. Right. Um, then some people are like, Oh, it is electrolytes or, but that's how my oncologist explained it because like randomly I would create even now after transplant, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But like I crave certain things and he's like, you're craving it. Cause that's what your body needs. Right. And that's why, that's why you have cravings. So your body's telling you what you need. Right. All right. And so we we're, we're past the first, you know, phase of there's no cancer. Right. You know, how long did this go on? Bef- well, how many? Uh, let's let's go back and s- let's repeat those numbers okay. again. How many surgeries you've had? Well, I had seven brain surgeries prior to the cancer, but okay. so this is I before, had my this is before all the cancer. Yeah, that was before I was even diagnosed. Okay, and then you got you have the cancer now. How many uh, procedures you have after the cancer, if any? Well, I had four consolidation therapies, so I was okay. in the hospital for one week. 
and received a low dose chemo just to make sure that the cancer didn't come back. Got you. Okay. Um, I know, I know, I know people are going to probably watching this, but you said something that's very, that's a massive number, seven brain surgeries. Yeah. You know, um, sorry, everybody that's like, you know, watching this. Cause I know you guys are like, we said we was going to talk about cancer. I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> I, have, I have to go. Hold. That's a big number. Yeah. I, this is a big number. All right. So yeah. seven brain surgeries. Yeah. So I was born with a cyst on my cerebellum and your cerebellum is speech, walking, talking, balance, okay. everything. Gotcha. So when I was eight years old, I had my first surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a stent in there to drain the fluid because I have uh-huh. um, access s- fluid. I've hydrocephalus, so there's a lot of fluid in my brain. Right. Um, kind of like if you get into a car accident and you hit your head, okay, sometimes right. your brain swells. Right. Well, right. mine does that for the hell of it. Right. Lucky it's me. crazy. What? Right. So I get like headaches Bananas. and stuff. Right, so, right, right. but so I have a shunt. Um, my senior year of high school, 2006, I, I mean, I was having headaches, going to doctors, getting MRIs, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. But I was like, something's wrong. I'm having headaches. So they did an exploratory brain surgery and found my cyst actually ruptured when they cut it open because it was so big. The stent got clogged, but there was no test to test if it was clogged. Right, right, right. So they did exploratory brain surgery, tied the shunt in through like the fourth ventricle of my brain, which messed mm-hmm. my eyes up. You'll see it sometimes crossing. Right. That's from the brain surgery. I live gotcha. with it. I have double vision for the rest of my life, whatever. Oh, I don't wow. care. Um, but that didn't work. And then six months later, I had to have another one. So I had one in 1996, one in 2006, one in 2007, two in 2008, because they put a shunt in, and it drained too much fluid, so I had to go back. They had to replace everything and put another shunt in. I was good for a few years. In 2011, I was having really bad headaches again and stomach pain. So then I went to John Hopkins, the best neurosurgeon in the country, number one. Saw him. He replaced everything, but went through my jugular right. in part. Right. Then I was fine. I was good. Then when I got pregnant in 2013, um, the shunt was in my heart. And when you're pregnant, your heart beats more, you know, so it was scraping the right atrium of my heart, the shunt. So then while I was 16 weeks pregnant, they they shortened it. They pulled it up, shaved my hair right here, and then shortened it, cut it, and then reattached it. And then um, my son was fine. I, you know, had surgery while I was pregnant. That was scary, but he was fine. I came out fine. I did surgery with no pain medication, just Tylenol because I was pregnant. And he came out fine. He was born Christmas Eve. He, you know, 40 weeks. That was my due date. And he was born. Everything was fine. And then three years later, I was diagnosed with cancer. Well, I'm like, hold on, because I'm like, I'm, I think I'm probably like other people right now. Hearing all these numbers and dates and surgeries, I'm like, my head hurts. Like, you know, hearing that, I'm like, I can only imagine being a person there with it, you know, and that's, that's crazy. Like, what? Like, so you was, I feel like you were brought here to like show people that, you know, fighting is possible. 
that's know. how I feel too. Yeah, like like that. That's probably like your purpose. Like you're here to inspire people to just keep fighting whoever it is that you may come across to keep fighting. You know, and that's that's dope. But you know, like I mean, Jesus Christ, like it's I a know. lot. Of, it's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of. It's a lot of numbers. It's a lot of pain that you have to think of a person that has to endure all of these operations on their body. You know, your body, your body's not designed to be cut open, but right. so many times, you know what I mean? So the fact that you got to sit here and deal with that, then you're a mom, you know, and you're an expected mom at that point, you know, and I know a lot of moms who've probably been told that they've had diabetes, you know, just, was it, uh, is it gestation? Yeah. When they get pregnant, when you get pregnant, you get, you know, you have the diabetes, you know, or a pregnancy can kill you, you know, and it's crazy to hear that somebody had a whole surgery that has to deal with the brain, the heart all in one, you know, all in one, you know, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's a lot. And I know a lot of people that's going to be watching this, it's going to kind of be like, that's, that's, that's crazy, you know? And, um, and then you said how many months later was the cancer? It was no, it was three years. So my son was born. Okay. Yeah, it was okay. my son was born in 2013, um, Christmas Eve. Right. So it was right, like right. right before 2014, and then right. in 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer. That's crazy. Now, oh, all right. So now let's jump back. We beat. Okay. We, we beat the first time. Yeah. So now, then yeah, so I was did the 33 days, yep. then I came home. Yep. And then every two months I would have a consolidation therapy. Yep. We talked about that. Yeah. So I was seven days. And then after that seven days, I would go home and then start every other day going back to the hospital mm-hmm. until I was good. And then I waited three days. And then I would go every three days to the hospital. Right, then right, I went right. every five days to the hospital. Okay. Then it was once a week. Then it was like, okay, you're good. We'll do another chemo. So it was like nonstop for a while. And then, you know, um, now how many months or years later did it that you, you said you mentioned you relapsed? Yeah. So February 14th, 2018 was my last uh, consolidation therapy and the doctor said you know I, I think you could say you're in remission I think we're good right um when I was first diagnosed they found a gene mutation okay. called TP53 everyone is born with cancer cells in their body right when you get the flu sometimes you get blood work done and it might show a blast cell that's your immune system fighting off the bad germs, right? which everyone has. The TP53 gene mutation that everyone has in my body was messed up and it causes cancer. So because mm-hmm. my gene had a mutation in it, it's a cancer causing gene. And then we did blood work and my grandmother has it. My mom has it. I think my aunt who passed, she had Ewing sarcoma. She has it. Um, My sister who had brain cancer doesn't have it. So they believe that's environmental, um, which is a whole nother story. But yeah, so I have a gene mutation. So knowing that the doctor said, you know, we're going to have to closely monitor you to see what's going on Uh, in the summer. I believe it was August one day uh, we were on my stepdad's boat and my tooth was bothering me. 
And all of a sudden, it just started like getting big. It was huge. And I was like, I'm in pain. I got to go to the hospital. Not thinking, oh, I might be relapsing with cancer. Right. I just went to my local emergency room to see what was going on. Right. So I did that and they did blood work and they saw a blast cell. So they immediately called the oncologist and was like, I don't know what's going on. Um, you know, I think she needs to see you. Okay. So that's what we did. And the oncologist was like, let's do a bone marrow biopsy to see if it's just your body fighting off the infection because the tooth was an abscess okay. or if it is cancer. So I went and I had a bone marrow biopsy and they, they showed blood cells. I had the cancer came back and I found out on September 11th a few days, my son started school on the 7th. So it was like his third day in school. Mm. And the doctor called and he said, yeah, it's, you relapsed. It's cancer. All right. So where are you at when you get these news? I, my son had just gotten on the school bus and the doctor called. I was sitting on my, sitting on my front porch and I just, I was, I just started crying. Thought process, if any, at this moment. My thought process was, I don't want to do this again. And because that's and now at this point, you've been out of remission. How long? Because it didn't seem like it was a long time. So it was like six months. And now you have to do everything you did. Prior. Right. Well, and, that's what I thought. Right. And then you, so, OK, so go ahead. Yeah, so he gave me a week okay. to talk to my son, to get things in order. Um, I did my will um, just because it was a relapse. And he basically said, you have a 10% chance of living through this. Crazy. That's what I was told. Crazy. So I made my will, which no one wants to do. Right. But I was young. So I, I, it was like, what do I want for my burial? What do I want for the rest of my life? What do I want for my son? Who do I want to him to be in his life? You know, like needing to have everything ready just in case. I mean, it was hard. It was horrible. That's I felt crazy. like I had a week to plan everything. What I wanted, if I did die, what, you know, what my assets go to what, making sure Isaac was okay, making sure he would still be with my family making sure my what I wanted with my stuff would be done I mean nobody wants to do that but right. as a 30 year old you know you know like I thought I had the rest of my life and then everything was just like I don't know I felt like an elephant was sitting on top of me and I just 
I was devastated. I cried all the time. I, at that time when I learned I, I relapsed, I did think I was like, this was it. It's so bananas though, to even just be at that age, to even think, you know, and I'm pretty sure it's not just at those moments when you're getting these news that you're like, damn, but you're thinking about everything that you've been through at that point, you know, prior to that, you know, what leads up to that moment, you know, and then you, I, you know, as a lot of people would say, brain surgeries, they probably wouldn't even think they will live through that. You, right. And the fact that you get through seven of those, you get through a whole process of this one moment. Now you're going through this first cancer. You get to the remission part. Now it's a relapse. You're at the, I know a lot of people at that point, they're just like, look, if it's my time to go at this point, hey, look, I, this, this must be it. Like I, this must be a sign or a calling that I, I, I got to go. You know what I mean? Like I, I might've missed the, the bus on purpose a couple of times before that, but now, hey, listen, this might be my time. You know, but you didn't because you're still here. So, you know, so obviously the fight in you went off again at that point because you don't seem like the person to give up at all. Like you seem pessimistic about like, listen, I'm not going nowhere, people like, you know, so what now? I know you said the process was a little different from the first time. Yeah. So what's what's that process? So September 11th, I was told. he gave me a week to talk to Isaac, right, right. get all my affairs in order, right. and get ready. Because it wasn't, like, it was only one blast cell, um, but you could have, like, one, like, percentage. So it was, like, a really low percentage. Right. So he wasn't really worried about a week, but he really wanted to, like, start all over again and make sure right. this time we eradicate it. Mm-hmm. So we went to the doctors we talked about you know having chemo but then he said you need to have a stem cell transplant also so I went in knowing I was getting a super I had three different chemos it was called MEC M-E-C three different chemos and it was like twice as strong as my first round okay so it was it was worse on my body because from the moment I started getting it, I was sick. Right. And again, I was in a hospital for like 30 days because they clear out your body, they give you chemo, and then you can't leave the hospital until you build a little bit of an immune system up. Right. Because obviously the world is filled with germs. Right. And then the stem cell. Right. So Um, talk about the stem cell a little bit. Like, let's explain to people that are not educated on that, because I'm kind of like ignorant to that as well a little bit. So tell me, like, what is this process like? You know, for those who don't know, I'm a volunteer EMT. So I've gone through the, you know, medical books a little bit. So I've seen a little bit of things here and there, but stem cells, like, like surgeries and procedures is something that obviously we don't learn because we don't perform these things. Right. So, you know, what is it about stem cells? Like what is the stem cells, uh, transplants? Okay. So sometimes when a baby's born, you could save that umbilical cord blood because it has stem cells in it. Stem cells are the cells that make your immune system up. That is where your DNA 
is formed. That is where your mutations start. Um, like someone that has um, like a, a like autism or Down syndrome. Right. It all starts within the stem cells because that makes up your body. Right. So after being told I had 10% chance to live, they said, you need to have a stem cell transplant. I said, okay. So there are Be The Match and DKMS, I believe it is, are places that you can find people that match your blood. But it's not like your blood type. There's 10 different HLA factors, or I think now it might be 12. Um, So they have to match like your ethnicity. They have to match your background they have to have the same um it is not even about blood type but like the same the same way your dna is a donor has to have the same exact dna that you do so that you won't have like uh your body won't fight it off right which is graft versus host disease right your body fighting off the stem cells so there's a lot of testing that goes into it to make sure that you match right and then it doesn't even have to be the same blood type because some people you could be a positive and switch to be negative depending on what the donor cells are gotcha when you start the process they give you chemotherapy the strongest chemotherapy in the world (laughs) to kill off everything. All of the immunizations you got are out of your body. You have no allergies. Like everything is killed off. Basically you're on the brink of death and then they give you a new immune system. That's crazy. Like, wait, hold on. That's, that's some whole science that, let me think about that. You gotta give me a minute to process that. Yeah. The brink of death. Yes. And a whole new immune system. You have no allergies, no immunization rack. Basically, it's basically like saying you're getting a whole born. New, yeah, it's like you're getting a whole new social security number for your DNA. That's basically yes. okay. hundred percent. Yep, that's what it is. That's crazy. So um wow. I'm yeah. like, you know, because people are gonna probably hear that and be like, what? That's it. Right. If I so, want to reset my body, don't please don't go out here. Please, people don't go out here medically trying to reset your bodies. Please don't I know. Because <laughs> people hear that, they're like, wait, what? No allergies? No, what? oh yeah, let me go. No, please don't. Please don't be don't please that. And and this is just the light of the situation. Like, please yeah. don't do it though. Like, don't do it. Don't try to find it. They're like, what 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 she said? People are gonna rewind yeah. this and be like, what what she said? What, what was that chemo? Like they're gonna be looking for it. Like, listen, like they're gonna be like, I'm allergic, I'm I'm lactose intolerant. Let me go get this and I'm going to yeah, reset my dip. But you can be a stem cell donor, which is one of the coolest things ever. Because How? literally... Let's talk about that. How? How can people get into that? You can go to bethematch.com, type in be the match. They will send you a kit for free. You swab one cheek with one, one little Q-tip thing. Mm-hmm. You swab another cheek. You put it back and you send it. They will extract your DNA... And if you match someone that has cancer, sickle cell disease, um, I mean, now they're doing stem cell therapy for other things. 
Okay. You literally could save someone's life. And like how like what's the procedure for that stem cell transplant? Like is that like a blood? I'm I'm trying to make sure I got yeah. this right. That's so, like a blood test, right? Uh, you know, um, have you ever seen like a dialysis machine? And it, that's, that's the machine that's just kind of constantly rotating in a circle, like with yeah. The, so it okay. separates your blood. Right, right, so, right. So there's two different procedures, which be the match pays you for it, contacts your job. You won't get fired. You do get compensated for doing it, which is nice. Okay. So you can either have surgery where they put you under, they go into your thigh, your hip bone, and they extract um, the stem cells from your bone. Okay. And then you recuperate. Or you can get... Um, like a, a white cell booster, which is called like, like a Neupogen shot. Mm -hmm. It's a little painful. It's just like a bone ache kind of. And then you sit in a chair and you get a needle in your arm and they take out your blood. They put it into this machine and it separates your stem cells from your regular blood. Right. Then your blood goes in and they keep the stem cells. Gotcha. So it's like you're going through a dialysis machine. And I was gonna say, it, so it sounds like donating blood. Almost, but yes, that and that's just, exactly just, what it is. It doesn't hurt, right? And I was gonna say, how long? How long you think? Because I know with donating blood, I think it's like, I think like thirty minutes. I think. They yeah, say I think it, I think it's like three hours. Okay, because I know donating blood is like thirty minutes, like thirty. To yeah, I think it's a few hours. Um, Unfortunately, I couldn't donate blood because my I'm iron deficient. So right. So it's so uh, yeah, you you do have to have like a physical beforehand right, just right. so that they know, like you can't have any um like crazy allergies to like peanuts or or bees, right. um, you know they need to make sure the person donating is is super it's healthy, healthy. Right. and that's, that's you know crazy. to give healthy yeah. blood. But the whole process is really amazing. I mean, science has come a super long way. Right. It's amazing what they can do now. Exactly. So my donor, um, there's a lot of aspects that go into it, and I'm not 100% sure. So I had a male son. Okay. When the female body, um, when you're pregnant, you have male DNA now in your body because you carried a boy right so i needed to have a male stem cell donor because i had a male son that's crazy. which a lot of people don't understand that so when you your body makes a baby right the father's dna and the mother's dna come together to go into a child right but the host the mother keeps that dna in she her body conforms to the father's dna mm. as well as hers and the baby's that's which crazy. i learned right. in going through that process that's crazy so uh, right once once so again, when it, it's all science but yeah. like how cool yeah that's crazy so that's so I'm, I'm going to assume that's why a lot of women who have boys they just become a lot more 
hard like they're just right because now they have testosterone in their blood and they're just more they're just a lot more crankier they're just easier to piss off they're just they're just just on go. oh you're pushing it now they're they're on go at all times now we know why guys all right you heard that if you you have a son that means you a thug now all right let's right let's just just make it very clear now i'll play it but it's crazy though that it even like i didn't know that that's that's i didn't know that either that's crazy but it's it's kind of like a thing to say though that women the the female anatomy is just something crazy because they you know and i and i'm not just men shut up i know they probably they're like man don't listen shut up i'm gonna be real right here women right women do a lot that we don't really appreciate they go through a lot that we don't understand that we never appreciate we don't take time to learn because as males you know it's like well they're female we're male right why do i need to learn about female anatomy you know besides i know that i can procreate with this woman you right. know i can i can have relations with this woman but right. what, what goes on with her uh, that's, that's her that's her right. thing you know and it's so when so when you come together and make that baby the female takes in your dna and so her eggs are her dna right. your sperm is your dna but the woman holds that to then create another set of DNA. Right. right. And that's crazy, though, that they keep. But it stays in her body. So gen- the woman's genetic makeup takes on the father's DNA to create a life. And she, ha- and she holds on to that DNA. In yes. Her body. So. So every child that you have, you your body DNA. has like a, a test tube of that baby's dna that's crazy you know what isn't I'm, it i'm gonna I'm I'm shut up because i don't want to say nothing crazy but you know but you know for it's women crazy. that have multiple babies and and um multiple daddies um you have a lot of dna over there and you know just hope that she doesn't have all boys because if she has all boys she's going to be a super thug so that's you know what i mean so you know a woman who has multiple boys god bless her um so yeah so because i had a son um my body had more of the male dna so that's why i had to have a male donor and do they now when you guys get donors do they do they disclose their information? Is that like um, on the don't? Is that on the donors? Like, because I know, like with adoption, you can have an open right. adoption or closed. And I know with donations, like um sperm donation, you can have an open donation or a closed where they seal the information off. Or right. sometimes they now if that do they have a choice with stem cell? Do they have that choice to close or open? So if you're in the United States and you get someone who's in the United States, it's one year. You have to wait a year and they can either tell you who they are or not. Oh, okay. Okay. I have a unrelated donor. Now, sometimes your your mom may be able to be a donor, but that's only you only have half of her DNA. So it would only be a 50 50 chance or you could have a sibling. And sometimes your siblings don't match you because it's another set of DNA. Right. So not right. all the time your siblings match you, even, even with, with twins. The same par- I was gonna say even with the same parents. It's not even with the right. same parents. That's that's crazy. Yeah. Right. That's so, crazy. um, so you just, but they couldn't use my family because of the gene mutation. Exactly. So I they 
I was lucky enough. Um, I'm Italian and Irish. They found six donors that they called them and they said, totally. Two of them went through the whole process and my doctor was able to choose one person to donate. Gotcha. Um, I know the only thing I know was he was 22 years old from Italy. That is all I know because I had to sign the paperwork the night before so they could fly my stem cells on a private plane and helicopter them into the hospital. That's the only crazy. reason I know where he was from. That's correct. And do you think you'll ever find out who this young man yes, is? Actually, so I wrote him a letter. Oh, okay. Just, um, I was allowed to through Be The Match. So on November 28th, next week, um, will be my two-year birthday of having my new stem cells. And they will contact him and say, here's a letter from your recipient. Do you want her to have your contact information? And he can say yes or no. And if he says yes, then I will receive an email from Be The Match letting me know what his name is, his address, his phone number. And then it's up to me to contact him. Dope. That's that's a dope. That's dope, though. If you know, but I'm, I know I'm hoping I'm hoping you can get in contact. I know me, too. But I'm I hoping. know people who have been through the process who've met their donors. Nice. You know, I mean, I know he's not in the States. You know, so it's not it's it's a little different, but you can do one of these meets, you know, little Zoom, yeah. you know, and, and just talk to them. Um, hopefully, you know, if you guys do, obviously we're not gonna ask for you guys first meeting, but you know, if you guys would agree at that point, if you guys do oh totally, we, oh my god, I would, I'm gonna I would, videotape I would love, it. I, I would love to just have you guys on as both both as guests, like we could probably have you both. Yeah, that would be time. so cool. You know, so just to kind of do, you know, um, we like to you know, we had digitally interrupted. We obviously like to interrupt people's days because we like to give right. them positive information. That's what we do. Right. There, you know, so um, all positivity, all positivity. Um, I would first like to say, you know, I'm not going to say congratulations because it ain't a birthday party, but I'm going to say blessings, peace and blessings because you you knock things out. You know, we're not going to say you beat anything. You knocked it out. You know, you got a new chance at life, you know, and what did he like? What's the what's your thought process these days? That that you've beat things up, you know, things that was trying to beat you, you beat it up. Like, what's your thoughts on life now? Like, what's what's your outlook now? Like, what's what's your son doing? Like, how's how's your son reacting to you now that you know? He actually wrote a book. My my son wrote a book last year, two thousand nineteen. Um, it's called My Mom Got Sick, and it's mm -hmm. a, it's a kid's book. Right. Uh, it just says like one day my mom went to the hospital. Um, I she was sick. I saw right. her. She was bald. Mm -hmm. um, she had to have medicine. Right. And sleepovers at the hospital. Then she came home and got her hair back, and it's okay. Right. And you know he went through therapy, um, play therapy. So he really wasn't knowing, but I felt he needed that. Okay. And we loved his therapist. And I, I thought it was the best thing because you there's books out there that, you know, mommy got sick or a loved one got cancer. Um, but it's like, it's hard to explain it to a child, especially right. a young child. It's, it's, it's hard. And it's hard being a parent. What do you say 
to make them understand because usually they know if you're bald, it's not good. Or if you're laying in bed all the time, you're sick. So it was very hard, but um, I feel like being honest and, you know, toning it down, but just honesty and answering his questions helped the whole process because you know now now i got my life coaching certificate um i've helped other people i've been an honored hero for the lls i have done a speech in a world cancer conference i have you know i've talked to so many people i've helped a lot of other people and I think my process now is just kind of getting the things that I feel that happen when you're in cancer. Right, I right. see so many issues with that, okay. with pre-existing medical conditions or insurance coverage or um, just things that I see or I feel need a change, that's what my direction is at now. Okay. Why is uh, Narcan free, but chemotherapy isn't? We could talk about it because I I, I definitely, I understand that. Like, I get it when you say that. Like, why is something, and I'm just being, and please, I'm, Trust me when I say this, I say this with all sincerity because I've started a document, a documentary that was called Epidemic of Addiction. So, you know, I I get it. That is, and I, and I know like when you're in an, in an addiction, that is a medical condition. Right. I totally agree. It's a mental condition, but you are willingly, and we a lot of people won't say this because they like to be sensitive, but I feel like we need to be upfront because for right. one, I was born addicted to heroin. My mom was a addict, you know, when I was born. So I say that it's a condition where you knowingly are putting something in your body that is going right. to hurt you eventually. However, it hurts you. It's going to hurt you. It's right. hurting you immediately when you put it in there. Right. It's, it can It can have that effect where you might not make it at that point, if you go into this overdose, you know, part of your life where we say Narcan is free, why? When a person right. who didn't ask for this, you or know, diabetes, true. why is an insulin free? Well, le- well, that, that's a that's a very tricky one because sometimes diabetes is something that you willingly is. It can be genetic. It can be something that, but you also can willingly give yourself diabetes if you don't take care of your body. And it's kind of one of those things where we didn't ask for it. You know what I mean? Like it just happens that way. It's just in our bloodlines at that same time. So I feel like though cancer is one of those sicknesses that nobody, and I mean, nobody, I don't, I mean, yes, cancer, you can give yourself as well because diabetes with cancer is smoking. Yeah. But Cancer and diabetes is like right there with each other, like where you didn't ask for it, but you can also genetically have it, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm not going to say one disease is, you know, more than the other, because that's being inconsiderate to those who have it, you know, but I get your question though, you know, insulin, why is insulin not free? Why isn't chemo free? 
but we have this Narcan drug right. that's bringing you from that brink of death right. back to life. But you chose that brink of death. You know, people didn't ask to be on the brink of death with cancer or diabetes, but with drug overdoses, you obviously put something in your body enough to know that it's a 50-50 chance. And I get it. And I think that's a question that will we're going to have you back here. Like we're going to have you back on here and we're going to talk about some of those things because I feel like we can have a healthy conversation with oh, that. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm going to definitely find, I'm going to try to find somebody else that can join in that conversation as well, because I also want to get it from all perspectives. Like I want to get somebody who's recovered from drugs. I want right. to get somebody who's in that, you know, diabetic stage or somebody, if we can get you and two other people that have those diseases and ask that question one more time. Yeah. And that conversation, like, let's ask why, you know what I mean? And I feel like that that's a, we're going to have that conversation. We're going to, I'm well, going to make sure we have that conversation. I'm up for it. I want, I want to have that conversation, you yeah. know, at the same time. Um, But yeah, you know, like I said, once again, like, what is your, what's your outlook? Like you've been doing a lot of outreaching. You've done a lot of volunteering. I'm pretty sure you, you yeah. know, you've become a life coach, you know, you've done all of that. Um, What's just like what's your overall outlook now where you were like, man, I'm a you know, because some people say they were afraid of dying before. Yeah. You know, like if you had God forbid, if anything was to happen to you, like, what do you feel like your legacy is now at this point? Like, do you feel like you're leaving this earth with your stamp on it? Whereas before you might have not had a stamp as big as you have now, because now you have a story to go with that stamp. What is your outlook now? at life in general? So the other day I, I spoke at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's uh, chairman's event. Okay. And I said, I want my journey to be a reminder to you that there is another side, no matter what you are going through, things like, it's not always, the grass is not always greener on the other side, right. but no matter what you are going through, it may be negative, but there's also a positive. Gotcha. So yes, I've had seven brain surgeries. Yes, I've had cancer twice. Yes, I've had a stem cell transplant. No, I'm not a hundred percent good. I have graft-versus-host disease. I'm sitting here with a heating pad because my back hurts. I, you know, I still am on some medication. I probably will be for the rest of my life. I, you know, like I, some days are good. Some days are bad. Sometimes I don't feel good, but I have a voice. And for that, I, I want you, as I usually always do on my show, my last the last imprint on every show, I always love to leave on a positive note. You are talking to somebody with, doesn't have to be just cancer. You, I've heard you say the grass is, you know, there's always another, another side to something. What are your, like, what are your most encouraging words after that to somebody? Like, I like to say, let's leave on a positive note. Okay. You're talking to a somebody who's just hurting down to their last. They don't know whether they're coming today or they're going tomorrow. You're having this conversation sitting next to them. You only have 
three sentences left to say something to them to change their life. What are you going to tell them right now? Your journey may be your journey, but you can share it with the world. You may feel down and you may be on your last leg, but someone else may be in your position and because you have gone through it and because you have felt that pain, you may be able to help someone else. Starting a website is free. Starting a Facebook is free. Starting social media is absolutely free. Share your story. All right. Well, listen, we've been sitting here kicking the breeze for a while and I have enjoyed this conversation. I feel like after this quarantine thing is all over with, I'm gonna have to go get me a couch. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to bring some people up on a couch somewhere because yeah, these, totally. I, I I never really I'm really one to talk to somebody like that. I'm not gonna lie. Before making this podcast is something different, man, because I'm not really a people's person. So I'm not gonna lie, I'm not a people's person. I and people might look at this and be like, "You're a liar." I'm like, no, listen, because I'm doing something I love. It's easier for me to talk to somebody because I love what I'm doing. You know, so um, right. That's how I feel. A lot of people say the same thing. How can you talk about cancer? Well, because I want to make a change. Because right. if we break down, if we change the aspect on how the world looks at cancer, right. it won't be that gut-wrenching feeling when you hear it. It'll right. be like, oh, if I say to you, home, right? what do you feel? You feel like, oh, it's, relaxed. it's, yeah, it's relaxing. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's right. So if I say to you, cancer right now, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if we change that dynamic of you're going to get through it, it's going to be okay. People won't be so taken back if you say cancer. Right. Well, that's what, that's my goal. That is my goal for the rest of my life. You are now listening to the number one podcast. You have been digital. Interrupted. I am digital.